Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we talk about the Super Bowl trailers, Uncharted hits theaters, and director Ruben Fleischer is our guest. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 203 of Real Blend, a podcast that has 100 cameras set up for the musical number. My name is Sean O'Connell, and on this week's show, <laughs> trailers from the big game to discuss. A lot of fo- a lot of footage for some really exciting upcoming films uh, that we wanted to, to talk about with you guys. Uncharted hits theaters, finally, after being uh, in production po- uh, or on the development shelf for almost a decade uh, and the director, Ruben Fleischer, is going to join the show as this week's guest. Um, so we got a lot of show to get to. Let's dive right in for episode number 203. Uh, as mentioned, I'm Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and joined by Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey. How are you? Hey, buddy. Um, I'm. What am I missing? Why do I not get this week's joke? Kevin, was... you get the joke, right? Kevin McCarthy of Fox it. 5 in Washington, D.C.? Well, we just did an interview with David Morse for um, for the Green Mile, which we'll have on our show Soon we, we can say if it happens, hashtag it happened. And he was telling us a great story about Lars oh, von Trier. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. And yes, Dancer yes. in the Dark. And there was a hundred cameras set up for this like musical number. A hundred um, cameras. Well, How I mean, was anyone supposed to get that joke? Well, it's, it's from a story from care. an interview the jo- the we just for- did. Jake, the jokes are for me. Yes, <laughs> literally. <laughs> Does Gabe why know this? I tell the opening jokes. No, Gabe has no idea. But that's okay. I want people to sort of be on their heels when they start the show. Oh, it's not a, well, it's not a Should we just call place. this Sean Blend? <laughs> I do. When, <laughs> when David Morse uh, said that, the first thing that came to my mind, I mean, if you guys have ever seen the behind the scenes footage of The Matrix. The Matrix, when, yes. Yeah, when, when, when he's shooting the bullet time, like it's just dozens and dozens of cameras firing off a millisecond at a time to get that let's look. talk more about this interview that no one's ever heard yet <laughs> that's okay we're teasing it we're teasing we it. are this is a great tease he tells some amazing stories about the rock and dancer in the dark and of course the green mile so we'll have that on the on and the, the negotiator very very Go soon if you are watching us on youtube thank you for joining us please head down give us a like and a subscribe and join us here each week 
the video component of the show. Uh, for your audio listeners, if you want to join us in the video format, head to youtube.com backslash Real Blend Podcast. Of course, we are available all the different places where you get your podcast needs met. We have a Real Blend Premium show, which the Real, Real Blend Premium will tell you that the most recent one was uh, off the rails. We got into <laughs> a conversation. So uh, just to let people know what 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 happened, because you might have seen some social media conversations and wondering what the deal is. We play we play a game on the premium every once in a while called the two film challenge, where um, if the aliens were to come down to oh, our God. planet and we had to explain to the aliens. <laughs> this is not the game, though. <laughs> this is not uh, the game. Like, what two films best represent uh, someone who gave mentions, I gave May Kovach, I, may I interject? Because you? again, you're already not explaining it correctly. <laughs> but but in a way, like it's, that's how well, we interpret on, the hang game. On, hang on, the prompt yeah. is not what best represents. Someone okay. says, not an alien, a human being says, I've never seen <laughs> a single movie <laughs> uh, from this person, whether it's a director right. or actor. What are the two films you only can pick two that you would suggest they watch first? It's not Fair their enough. best films. It's not. It's not right. what best represents them. You kind of come up with the criteria as we go. And that means so, we argue um, we will all the time. We will not rehash this conversation in yes, the least bit. Thank you. But I will say that the conversation turned to Leonardo DiCaprio. And if you would like to hear uh, our very <laughs> heated thoughts about the two films of DiCaprio, I, I, we I will showed say the aliens. People's he, reaction on social is helping me sleep at night. They really <laughs> did true. side with you. Yeah, yes. they did. So, well, if you want to listen both to of that. us, I want to point that out yeah, as well. Yeah. We were Game, firmly yeah. on one side. So Cheryl, I don't think Gabe yeah. was, Gabe yeah. was described as the parent in the car trying Absolutely. to keep all of the kids, <laughs> which actually is basically just real blend. That's that what is. my that's what my official title at Cinema Blend is. <laughs> the parent in the car. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to hear that, go to Real Blend Premium. If you want to find out how to get uh, episodes of Real Blend Premium, head to the description uh, for all of the information on how to join. Uh, like I said, we have so much show to get to. I want to get right to our interview with Ruben Fleischer. Uh, Ruben's been on the show before. Uh, he directed the first Venom film uh i think we had him on for Zombieland 2 and now he's returning to come back and talk about his video game adaptation of uncharted with tom holland and mark Wahlberg. uh so without further ado ruben fleischer talking uncharted on the real blend podcast so ruben we are uh, a, a director driven podcast so please feel free to get as as in-depth and nerdy as sometimes you don't always get the chance to do in those four minute tv pods so seriously we we love that kind of stuff man so seriously thank you for joining us today I can't help but be nerdy and geeky about directing stuff. That's just what I do. Good. Well, then you, you were going to fit in well. So I actually wasn't going to start out uh, my first question this way, but I just talked with one of your amazing actors, Toddy, um, who told me that while you guys were filming this, Tom was actually running around and showing people behind the scenes footage of Spider-Man No Way Home and uh, pictures of Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire on set and some pre-viz stuff and was just talking about all, all these secrets that we've been trying to get out of him for the last two years. He said he was just so excited to tell people about it. I'm sort of curious, did he ever tell you about any of this stuff? I mean, it seems like it's so well, I don't crazy know what to think. talking about, honestly, unless she was just privileged to things that uh, I wasn't. But uh, I never got a glimpse of a bunch of that stuff. Uh, prior to going to see it in the theaters like everybody else. Wow. You were busy directing a film. <laughs> uh, Ruben, I would love for you to uh, open up about planning your action sequences for IMAX. Um, I did not get a chance to see this movie in IMAX at the press screening, and so I'm going back opening weekend just to see it uh, in that format because uh, the, the plane sequence that people have seen in the trailers and this outstanding pirate ship sequence 
uh, are truly next level inspirational stuff. And so I want you to talk about uh, just framing your action for that and, and making best use of, of all of the available screen uh, in, in the IMAX format. That's awesome um, that you're going to go see it again, Sean. That makes me really happy. But yeah, I, I, I can tell you seeing it at that scale of an IMAX screen is really breathtaking. I mean, I think it works really well on a conventional feature film screen, um, but there's nothing like staring at a you know 70 foot or however big they are IMAX screen. And in terms of playing the action, I mean, what's really nice about IMAX is it affords that additional aspect ratio. So you have the top and bottom that that the black bars, so to speak, uh, cut out uh, on a traditional movie. Um, so we, you know, the, we wanted the action to be larger than life. It's inspired by a video game, and so I think fans are used to seeing just this death-defying, you know, really breathtaking sequences, and having just more uh, room to play with just allows you that much more opportunity to make it that 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 much more exciting. So we have, um, I think, four or five native IMAX sequences where we actually use different lens. We use shot the film anamorphically, um, which allows that narrow aspect ratio. And so whenever we're shooting one of the IMAX intended scenes, we shot spherical, which, which gives you the top and bottom that you lack otherwise. And um, there's other you know, little things like, you know, we, we, we don't do a ton of like quick quick pans or, you know, fast moving camera stuff because it, it, it doesn't play as well on IMAX. It's better to keep it a little bit more static and let the action play within the frame as opposed to moving the frame to feature the action. Um, so, uh, yeah, it really delivers in IMAX. And the other thing is the Atmos sound. Um, I find that IMAX theaters have, I feel like I'm doing an IMAX commercial now, but they have <laughs> it's my fault. I asked. And uh, in one of my, the joy, my favorite parts of making a movie is the final mix where you get to really spend weeks, you know, every gunshot, every scream, every, you know, every little sound effect that you can imagine. We, we spend time just making sure it sounds as great as it can. And then with Atmos, you can literally position it anywhere in the theater. So if you're like, I want to hear the yell kind of fall off from there to there and you can literally point and then the mixer can position the sound that way. And then when you see it in the theater, it just makes it that much more exciting uh, to watch. So, so yeah, I'm excited for you and everyone else to go see it on whatever big screen they can find, whether it's a conventional theater. I'm just happy if somebody sees it in theater, but all the better if it's on a big IMAX screen as well. You know, the the opening shot of this film is so cool. I like, you, you just see like he's just falling and the ring appears in the frame. And um, it was just a really well done uh, and well designed sequence um, in terms of practicality. The behind the scenes footage of that entire sequence is insane. Like like you literally had Tom flipping on these cargo pieces. Um, he got he really got hit by a half a car, essentially. Um, can you talk about for our audience? Because that scene is so incredible. It's almost like a one at one point when he's flipping around me. It is wild how you pull this thing off. Can you walk us through a bit how you shot that and kind of like what the final product looks like versus kind of how you actually achieved it on set? Yeah, one of, one of my favorite parts of my job is the collaboration that you have with all these incredibly talented and experienced um, partners. So that is a great combination of practical special effects, um, stunts, and then visual effects. And so we, we had the good fortune of having some extraordinarily talented people um, on uh, uh, behind the camera helping me. And so, for example, um, 
the, those boxes that are on um, KUKA arms is what they're called, but they're robotic arms that would not look out of place uh, at an auto manufacturing plant. And so hmm. the five boxes that we had were on five KUKA arms and they can program them so that they had this like movement as if they were swaying behind a, a, um, a, a plane. So they're like fishtailing. So that was like the special effects component. They built the robot arms, they put the boxes on them, all that. And then the stunt guys were responsible for the actors and the stuntmen, you know, navigating this obstacle. Um, so that's jumping across, leaping, shooting, doing whatever they did. Um, and that was with this guy, Scott Rogers, who is our second unit director. He's an incredible, he's known for his rigging uh, skills, um, but just terrifically talented and experienced guy. Uh, and then Tom himself, you know, at the center of it all, performing those stunts makes it all the more exciting just because we didn't have to cut around the stunt guys because we mm -hmm. had the movie star at the center of the frame at all times performing them stunts himself. And then the third component of that sequence, is, which is really important, is the visual effects aspect, because I'm not going to uh, ruin the movie for anyone by telling you that it wasn't actually shot <laughs> at 20,000 feet hanging out of the back of a plane, but instead it was shot in a parking lot in Berlin outside of the stages that we were shooting in. Um, and so it was against blue screen and all those environments and everything else had to be comped in once we had shot the source material. So we had, you know, actors and stuntmen on wires with giant fans blowing in their faces on these moving robotic arms. And that was already impressive. But then once you make it look like instead of a blue, you know, solid blue black ground, they're instead, you know, 30,000 feet above the sea. It's just, you know, it all comes together in a beautiful way. Ruben, if Tom Cruise listens to this episode, he's going to call you and he's going to say, Ruben, come on. <laughs> yeah, you got to do it in midair. Come on. <laughs> uh, Ruben, we were, we were all sort of texting after because we all saw the movie on the same day, I think, and we're texting about just how insane the final act of this film is. You've got these two ships <laughs> hanging by chains from helicopters and kind of having a midair duel. It's incredible. It's one thing to come up with that idea and put pen to paper and go, yeah, that'd be cool. And just sort of write out the script. It's another thing as a director to look at it and go, okay, I've, what the hell? I've got to try to bring that to life. As cool as that sequence is, when you were like sort of kind of seeing the words on the paper, was there any part of you that sort of went like, oh shit, now I have to figure out how to actually <laughs> do this? No, uh, I get excited about those opportunities. And that, that that's, that's true for the sequence we just discussed as well as for this one. Um, I... You know, I was just geeked because I am a big fan of the Pirates franchises and all kind of classic pirate movies. And so we've all seen boat battles a million times, but we've never seen them in midair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so getting to stage that action, have an actual swashbuckling moment, which I'd never done before in the midst of the chaos. And then, you know, it really plays like, you know, we took inspiration from whether it's X-Wings navigating, you know, uh, cavern. Like when the X-Wing goes into the, at the end of Star Wars, that's not unlike some of the, the, the channels and caverns that our boats go through. Um, we took inspiration from all different places. Um, but yeah, for, for like, I'm a kid in a candy store with this stuff. Like, I, like even if it is intimidating, I'm not saying it wasn't intimidating, but it's also just so exciting because you get to make, this radical sequence, which I can certainly say I've never seen before. Yeah. That's a rare thing to be able to say with these big budget action movies. It feels like some, some of this stuff 
is uh, really, really hard to top, you know, what's already been done. But but part of what excited me when I read that was literally just, I've never, it's not another car chase. It's not another whatever. It's like something I've literally never seen before. And hopefully that's a good thing. And hopefully audiences appreciate it um, as much as we enjoyed making it. All right. I'll go from a big, big scale to something really small, uh, but an important detail because I I played the games religiously. I love them. Um, but, but there's an element that I didn't realize was missing until until it came on. And that's the shoulder holster. Uh, when Tom finally puts a shoulder holster on and I think you actually give it a musical cue. Is there a little theme that plays with it? Yeah, uh, the, talk about that the video, moment. The video could. game theme from the, the games plays there. There's two instances in our, like we. So in, in adapting the, the video game to the big screen, I, I was really set up, you know, I want it to be distinctive. I don't want it just to be a carbon copy of the games. I don't want to just try and recreate what they've already done so well. Mm-hmm. I want to make our own movie that can stand on its own two feet, but pays homage to this thing that we all love. That was, a, you know, the, the origin of it. Um, so for, for that moment, um, when Tom puts on his signature, or I should say when Nate puts on his signature holster, um yeah it felt really appropriate to dial in the the nate's theme from the video game for because it is such a fan moment you know you can't help but like as a fanboy just like be stoked when you see him as he should be and so we had to we had to like underline it with the with the video game theme the only other time that we used the video game music in the movie was when um a noteworthy cameo takes place um earlier in the film we also have that theme playing uh, when that character is met. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, one, the one thing I want to ask you is like in terms of small details, the the ring necklace is such an important piece to Drake's character and, and, and Nate's character. And the idea that like the brother gave it to him and, and, and it's almost a character in its own. It's part of the film in a very immersive way um, for you in your own life. What is that? element what is that ring necklace that you carry with you like what is, is there something that is that important to you that that is that importance to that character um that's a really great question and i wish i had a great answer for you i'm sure it exists um but i cannot i'm gonna look around my office because this has a lot of like, <laughs> past but um i think um I think uh, I'll get back to you on that one. I don't. I don't know that I have something like quite as equivalent as the ring, as far as like what my touchstone is. Um, the only thing that, and this is corny and obvious, and not a great answer, is the experience of watching Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, while it's not a tangible item like a ring. That was truly the movie that like set me on this course to one day wanting to become a director. It's, I think, a perfect movie and my favorite movie. And so um, that was something, you know, that led me on this path to go get to make movies. And Mm. and certainly when I was approached with this film, um, it was it it just rang the bell. It was like this is Mm. what I've been dreaming of my whole life was to get to make a treasure hunting movie like this and they the great thing is that or the good and bad thing is that they don't make them anymore Mm -hmm. Um, so i felt so privileged that i got to be the one who gets to make this next generation's version of a classic you know globe trotting treasure hunting adventure 
film. Um, so kind of a cop out answer, but, but, uh, due to the lack of, uh, tunnels in my office, I think the best I can offer. No, that's awesome. That's a great answer. Uh, Ruben, there's a great brief moment in the film where, uh, Drake name drops Indiana Jones, which implies that those movies exist somewhere out there in the uncharted universe. I'm curious. Do you think Nathan Drake is a fan of the, uh, Indiana Jones, uh, series? Yeah, I, I would bet money. The reason Nathan Drake became who he became was because of his love for Indiana Jones. Like, I mean, it's it's so clear that I think the creators of the game have a passion for Raiders mm-hmm. and Indy. And so I think Nathan Drake was born for that passion from that passion. And I, I'm sure Nathan Drake has watched Raiders probably even more times than I have. Yeah. I got to assume the line uh, nuns. Why is it always got to be nuns? It's also yeah. a, a nod yeah, to a Raiders. Couple of nods. Hopefully we didn't do it too much, but yeah, um, it, it felt like irresponsible not to acknowledge the, 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 the inspiration for, for what we were doing. Well, if, if so, Sony has, Oh, sorry, John. Oh, no, good. I was going to say, if, if Sony has shown us anything, it's that they can pull off these multiverse stories and do the impossible. So uh, what are the chances that we get, uh, Tom, Angelina Jolie to play Laura Croft and Harrison Ford to play Indy all in, in one just <laughs> epic adventure together. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll have to call Spielberg about that one, but uh, that would be, <laughs> be pretty amazing. Um, good good suggestion. Yeah. Do you have that number? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we'll wait over. if you want to do it right now. <laughs> yeah. um, Ruben, you stepped into this uh series or this uh, this project when it had been through multiple iterations uh we've been writing at cinema blend uh, uncharted stories for at least a decade uh, and they've always had like mark Wahlberg's name attached to them and various other names um did you keep any of that stuff or when you came on board was it a blank slate that you were able to sort of go in any direction you wanted to with the story well uh when they approached me to direct this movie it was it was well on its way um there was a script that i read that was fantastic mark and tom were already attached to star in it so there was like a pretty clear uh path to success because it was i mean you watched the movie that that is largely the script that i was sent you know i'd certainly added my spin on it but the the root story and the adventure um predated me as well as the casting. So uh, I have other people to thank for that and uh, attribute whatever success we reap uh, to all their collective hard work that led us to where we are now. Mm-hmm. Ruben, I want to geek out about Chung Hoon Chung, uh, uh, who is like, honestly one of the greatest DPs ever. I mean, the old boy I tracking shot. Yeah. yeah, the old boy tracking shot still might be one of I mean, top 10 greatest shots of all time. And obviously what he did with uh, Edgar Wright recently in Soho, um, just a phenomenal DP. And I just wonder, like, you know, in terms of working with him, knowing his history of what he's worked on before, obviously you, I'm sure you geek out with him a little bit about his camera work and like what he's done in the past. Like talk about your relationship with him and kind of the choice to bring him on. Yeah. Chung Hoon, somebody like yourself, who I've just really just admired and yeah, just nerded out on, um, his talent for so long. I actually met with him first on Venom. Um, and at that time he had a translator 
conduct the the interaction because he didn't his English he wasn't fluent in English and he wasn't comfortable kind of talking mm. without a translator. And given what a huge movie that was and and uh, kind of where I was at, I I wanted somebody who I could have a more direct communication with. Um, and but but I was really inspired by you know his take on the material and everything else. And so um, when Zombieland Double Tap came around, I was thrilled uh, to be able to offer him the job as a you know, you know massive fan of his work. And at that time, he'd done a couple more American movies and his English improved and he didn't rely on a translator. And, um, and it was a great collaboration. Um, one thing about Chung Hoon that you might not expect is he's literally the world's funniest person. <laughs> he, um, I think for a long time, compensated for his lack of English by way of relying on his humor. Like he, he just is so funny and and he does it he he has like physical comedy too like he like he has a very distinctive run that just watching him run makes you laugh um, <laughs> so humor as a tool to compensate for his uh lack of vocabulary um but you know cast like emma and woody and everybody just loved loved him so much I think that movie looks really great, um, especially given like the resources that we had. And so um, based on that, um, I was thrilled to work with him again on Uncharted. I think it was the biggest movie that he'd done. Yeah. At that time. Um, and I've this is my sixth movie. And up until Chung Hoon, I worked with a different DP every time. But hopefully upon, you know, this experience that he'll we'll just continue to work forever together. Um, he's available because it's just, we have a true kinship and, and he's a master of his craft and has incredible instincts and is just a, just a, one of the world's greatest people. I just really love him in a, uh, in a sincere way. Did you geek out with him at all about the old boy tracking shot? Like, did you like, how did you do that? Like everything, everything, everything. Um, He, he, he has so many like great stories and kernels of wisdom and he and um, Park Chun-woo are super close um, still like they, they talk all the time and, um, uh, and are, are, are very close, but yeah, there's a funny story, which I'm going to butcher. So I don't want to even tell you, but <laughs> I'll just say that, that uncharted, I'm sorry, the uh, old boy tracking shot was kind of, probably like most great things, an accident. Um, they they had to solve for how to perform. I think, as I remember it, they had to figure out how to do that thing with very little time and very little m- money. And so they just came up with the idea. Wonder. Wonder. And the other thing he told me is that they shot a second camera just in case. And so there's a second angle on it, but... It obviously wasn't used. Isn't it crazy that we've heard so many stories like that over the years of like sequences that we adore. And then the filmmaker is always just like, oh, yeah, we did. We just had to solve that, you know, in, in an afternoon, an accident. essentially. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. if it was. I, I might have gotten that part wrong, but definitely the uh, second camera thing I know is true that uh, just to, to have that get out of jail card. They shot a second camera, but they but they didn't use it and never wow. wanted to. Man, that's that shot. Oh. 
Uh, Ruben, whenever um, I have to see a movie for work, and I think it's the same with Kevin and Sean, um, I always go in pen and paper because I know I have to prepare for interviews. So I want to kind of write down ideas if I if I'm inspired to write a you know a question down or something. And so if I really love a movie, what I'll do is after once it actually comes out, I'll go see it again. Obviously, without pen and paper, so I can just enjoy it for what it is. I'm not I'm not working and I don't have to worry about coming up with question ideas. And it's two completely different experiences. I'm wondering what your two experiences playing the game have been just casually. What it's like to play the game casually just as a fan versus what it's like to be pressing the buttons, knowing that you're going to direct this film and how you how differently you look at it once you know you have this job. Yeah, I mean, for me, I I had played the game when it first came out. Um on PlayStation and um, but like liked it obviously and was attracted to it for all the reasons we've discussed. Um, but just life got you know away from me and I was busy and had kids and just stopped playing video games. And so I kind of hadn't played it for a really long time until they approached me with the, the movie. And then I went back and played all the games. And th- there it was more along the lines of your note taking where like I wanted to have the experience of playing it so that I could harness that and try and provide satisfying moments for fans of the game and have some of those details that are specific um, to, to, to the game playing. Um, so there's Easter eggs kind of buried throughout the film uh, as a tribute to the game and to hopefully satisfy fans um, who, who love the franchise. Yeah. Um, obviously my background betrays me, uh, as a comic book fan. And, uh, obviously it's not lost on me that the, the, the man who directed the first Venom has now directed our, our current, uh, on-screen Spider-Man. So I have to ask if it's crossed your mind at all that when Sony wants to put those two together, uh, if you're willing to return to the franchise and, and maybe shepherd both of them. Uh, we'll have to see. I mean, it would be honestly a dream come true to have those two worlds converge. Um, and it, it'll be a formidable battle between those two characters so yeah whether or not i direct it i'll certainly be excited to see it cool. that would be amazing ruben i want to geek out with you because zombie one of my favorite movies of all time um and the opening shot that phantom camera that you guys were using i think it was a thousand frames a second um and then that metallica track it's it's honestly one of my favorite openings ever um and i wanted to talk to you about the use of that camera that camera that you use i think it was called a phantom camera i believe um and and can you talk about the thousand frames per second how you shot it um how it operated i mean that that is it's one of the greatest openers ever yeah especially for like 2009 technology um i had used the phantom for a commercial so i was familiar with it um it used to be when you were shooting conventional film, uh, I think it was called Phototronics or something. It was like they could achieve super, super fast slow-mo, but because it's mechanical and that the film is going through the shutter that fast to achieve, you know, the slow-mo, they were like crazy loud, super expensive because they just chew up the film so quickly to do it. Um, So it was always kind of prohibitive. It wasn't used a lot unless you had incredible resources or it was like, one of those classic like bolt going through an Apple films that like we've all mm. seen. Um, but once they figured out how to do it digitally, um, it just kind of opened up the doors and you can check, check the tape, but I feel like Zombieland might be the first theatrical use of that camera. Oh, God. oh wow. Sherlock awesome. Holmes, I think popularized it, but they followed us 
as I remember, but you know, they when you do the punches and it ripples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. awesome there too. But, yeah. but I think they followed us. Um, so I don't know. You, you can IMDb and see who came out first. But um, yeah, I just was familiar with it because of this commercial I had done and thought it was so rad that like basically anything looks cool in slow mo. <laughs> and so in designing that sequence, we wanted to tell the story of um, how kind of the how it all happened mm. and uh i don't want to correct you but it's actually not the first thing that right. happened in the movie like it's the payoff like you meet yeah. Jesse, he tells you the rules it concludes and then it comes to that and so i wanted to use it as a way to tell the story of like okay we just met this character who's in the midst of a zombie apocalypse here's the story of the moment that the apocalypse happened yeah <laughs> so it's like you know girl with the milkshake oh that was the other thing we want to make sure that in every frame there was something either liquid or exploding <laughs> or whatever fire just anything that looks cool slow down so like you know zombie the zombie spraying blood whatever it was just <laughs> the guy falling off the roof like all of it just looks so rad slow down um, but we didn't have a lot of time to shit it. So it was one of those things where it's like, we'd be on a street in like, in this direction was, let's say a, you know, a storefront. So we shot that direction. Then we just turned the camera here and there was like a sidewalk. And so we'd figure out a <laughs> sidewalk and then we just try to get as many different moments. And we were like the guy, the big zombie who spits out the vomit or whatever <laughs> our head of makeups like we just put whoever was around in it and uh kind of just let loose but it really for me i'd come up as a music video director and yeah it's the combination of visuals with sounds or music and so i i felt like i was making music video again like just running that song and choice and then oh. yeah then getting for whom the bell tolls which <laughs> honestly we never thought we could get that um and we were thrilled apparently when metallica saw it they were just geek they thought it was rad like they just loved you know the visuals as much as we all do and and we're happy to do it and then we got to use their song again um for the sequel which was awesome you'll forever be in my in my collection at home here so thank you man i don't feel that special because basically every movie in your collection so oh these these are specifically chosen my wife and i have a whole like 1600 of them this is the first blu-ray she ever bought so oh wow well i'll take that as a a, there you go feather in the cap Thanks, well, Ruben, we were very excited to get you on the show. Uh, all three of us very are huge fans of the movie. Ever, if ever you want me back, I'd love to talk more because I I, I I love geeking out on movies just as much, if not more, than you guys do. Yeah, awesome, we'll get man. you back on. We'll talk about Jawadi score awesome. next time because it's phenomenal, too. Yeah, so we'll get into all that. Yeah. I'm glad you like Thanks, Ruben. Thanks, all right, man. Take care. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much to our friends at Sony Pictures Entertainment and, of course, the Ruben Fleischer for joining us to talk Uncharted. We will have a review of that later on in the show. Uh, let's get to uh, a remembrance of a, of an icon that we lost earlier this week. And this one hit pretty hard. Um, Ivan Reitman passed away. And it, it you know, that would have been difficult at any time because of the the impact that he had on our. Uh, film history, the way the, the reasons why we love film and, the, and a lot of the movies that he made that that won us over to movies. This one was particularly strange, if only because selfishly, we had him on the show uh, yeah. about two months ago to promote Ghostbusters Afterlife. And so because of that, his passing uh, brought up a lot of really interesting uh, and, and difficult feelings because in a way, and, and Jake, you said this in the text thread, but it was one of the first things I thought of as well, too. I was really happy that he got to 
uh, do a lot of press for Ghostbusters Afterlife because mm-hmm. not only was that press junket a, a celebration of of that film, but it was very much a celebration of Ghostbusters and his filmography yeah. because yeah. Jason, you know, his son who directed Ghostbusters was super open about making all of the conversations about his dad and his dad's legacy. And if you haven't seen the tweet that Jason put out, uh, mm. he essentially concludes it by saying like, watch my dad's films, go celebrate them, you know, keep talking about his work. That's what he would appreciate. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what I would like for us to do as well, too, because I mean, he's seminal, you know, he's one of the most influential filmmakers. And uh, I think I was with Mike Ryan, who's a fellow film journalist was talking about like the three film run that uh, Ivan Reitman had with uh, meatballs, stripes and ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, and then he had another one in the a four film run kind of through the nineties where it was, I'm going to botch this. It was, was a twins, Ghostbusters 2, Kindergarten Cop, and Dave, I think it was. Oh, God, Dave. Oh, So, I mean, you know, just the ability to transition from all those different films and deliver those types of crowd pleasers is is remarkable for any filmmaker. Uh, To your point, uh, a thing that I feel like we often say when someone passes is, you know, there's this this showering of of love and appreciation uh, for the person and their work. And and, and I think we've even said this about people before. Like, man, I, I wish I wish we'd done this when this person we're alive. I, mm. I, I wish we had made a point to to let them know how appreciated they were. And and yeah, I, I this I, I mean, that's basically for for those of us who were lucky because not everyone did get him on, on the afterlife junket. But for those of us who did got him on the tour, I think each one of us during the interview had a moment to express our love and appreciation for him. Mm. Uh, I think uh, it, it, to an extent, Jason got a lot of opportunities to express his love and appreciation for his father. I mean, he he really got to hear from a lot of people how much his work and also like how beautiful it was that that afterlife was so well received, mm-hmm. you know, like that, even though it was you know directed by Jason, Ivan was obviously very much a part of it. And the movie is very much a love letter to his work. And I mean, everything that we love about the movie is because it's an extension of 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 Ivan. Mm-hmm. And so to have basically universally the entire world say, hey, man, we love you, dude. We love your work. Like, right. isn't like I. Yes. When, when we all got the text and we got the notifications, I, obviously we were all heartbroken. But there was a part of me that was just sort of like, what a way to go, you know, yeah. like to, to have the entire world before you pass, basically say thank you and and express how much your work and your life's effort changed our lives i mean that's that's because, it. that's ideal you know what he got yeah. to see as well too they took that movie around to a couple of different fan events and then mm-hmm. they had a premiere of it a big premiere of it at new york yeah. comic-con and ivan was at all of that so yeah. you know it wasn't just media folks during a junket mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah weighing in it was fans and that's yeah. uh, obviously who he's making the movies for sure yeah and, sure. and ivan ivan being on real blend was a huge deal for a lot of us i mean like you know growing up I have photos of my dad and I and I'm wearing a proton pack yes. and it's like that proton pack would not have been on my back if Ivan Reitman had not directed Ghostbusters. You know right. what I mean? Or, yeah. or, or in a know, weird I, way, I, he like did a, he directed a moment between you and your father. I know that sounds weird to say, but like yeah. you and your father had this great moment because, because of, of Ivan Reitman. Yeah. And like, I think what's interesting about Ivan Reitman is I would argue he was I would argue he was underrated. Uh, in terms of when people put together lists of like the greatest filmmakers of all time, mm-hmm. I felt like Reitman should have been on more lists. And I think 
when he passed, you started looking at his filmography. I did this the other day with Rob Reiner, uh, mm-hmm. who's not passed. But I mean, if you look at the list of films that that he's made, also you almost forget how great of a director he is. And Ivan Reitman, you know, that run you're just talking about with the four run or the three run. Uh, I mean, he was obviously a master director, but I never thought I was I was always hopeful that and especially now with everything that's happening with his passing, we're starting to understand truly how great he was. And I think we all loved his movies and everyone loved his work, but I don't know that people thought, oh, that's Ivan Reitman uh, when they talk about Ghostbusters or, they, you know, like, that's you think about Spielberg when you watch a Spielberg movie because he's so prominent in pop mm-hmm. culture. Um, Reitman was like almost like under the radar directing some of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. Well, he might um, unfortunately get overshadowed by, you know, his participation with Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. Sure. Like they get the headline. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and what's fascinating, because, I mean, if you ask somebody who walked down the street and you ask 10 people who directed Ghostbusters, would they know it's Ivan Reitman? And I think that's right. kind of what I'm, what I'm getting I at. And I think like I think the beauty, you know, when someone does pass, like their work lives on forever, obviously, through cinema. Um, and I'm just I'm just I'm I love the outpouring and understanding of really how truly great this guy was as a filmmaker. He was a brilliant director. And if you think about everything, like the Ghostbusters, the practical effects, but everything we did with him in our interview, I, I looked back at the video and it was just truly incredible to watch Jason watch his father yeah. talk about Ghostbusters um, because like Reitman grew up obviously with his father and knew he'd been on those sets. I mean, it's not like it's not like this guy was listening to someone talk about Ghostbusters for the first time, yeah. but right. But right. So engaged in what his dad was saying to a point where he even asked his dad a question yeah. during our interview, something he wanted to know. And I'm like, this is insane. Like this yeah. is like a guy who could just call his dad at any moment at that time and ask him, Hey dad, you know, what, what's the deal with Sigourney Weaver? Why do you think she's so yeah, yeah, yeah. incredible in these, in these films? Yeah. And I was like, this is, it was just a cool moment. But in, in terms of Reitman, I, I just, you know, the films that he made, they're so massive from, from my childhood. I mean, like Ghostbusters kindergarten cop was everything to me. Again, when I was a kid, I didn't know Ivan Reitman directed kindergarten cop. It wasn't sure. until years later. Um, but he was like low key. One of the greatest directors of our time. And I, and I, and I, and I say that because I feel like I'm just happy that we're celebrating him on the show. I'm happy that, that his work is being celebrated. Obviously he was only 75. He was very, very young. I I would argue. Um, and I think he passed away Saturday, the 12th. Um, I believe it was right. And it was announced Sunday on Super Bowl Sunday. And, you know, to me, it was like, it was after all, we see a lot of celebrities who pass away and, and that we've talked to in our life. But he was one that really that really hit me like that was like we had just talked to him two or three months ago. Um, he was engaging. He was incredible. He was remembering all these shots from the first Ghostbusters. He was telling us how they did the egg scene. Oh, Kev, um, you were an all star of that interview because you asked two of the best questions that we got, which was the first one was the entire saga of him cutting uh, Jason yes. and the family out of that scene, which led to a tremendous interaction between the two of them. Uh, and the other yeah. one was the egg scene, which you mentioned and him talking about all the practical effects to make that to make that work. There's a moment uh, during him telling the story of the eggs and the practical effects where Gabe cuts to the wide shot of all of us and all of our faces. This for the YouTube people are just like, like we're just yeah, riveted yeah. listening to him. and Jason's one of them who's also yeah, riveted yeah. listening to him. When I was a kid and I saw that scene, I didn't understand like what practical effects were yet. I mean, I was, I don't know how old I was when I saw the first Ghostbusters, sure. but I must've been like five or six. Right. 
Um, it wasn't until years later that I read that they did that for real. Like, with, like they, I mean, like, and like, like, I had heard stories about it, but just hearing him explain the compression air, like popping out of the eggs. But what Sean's referring to, if you haven't listened to that interview, um, I had gotten Reitman the day, Jason Reitman the day before. And uh, so it was the first Ghostbusters, right, Sean, that he would that uh, him yes. and his mom and his brother were cut out of. Yeah, uh, it's when the, it's so, when the uh, Ecto one shows up at the at the skyscraper before the Ghostbusters walk up for the final right. confrontation. And Ivan had shot a scene that had Jason, his brother, I believe, and his mom. And yeah. and then the scene was taken out of the film. So we <laughs> we jokingly brought it up in front of Jason and Ivan as like a quote unquote family therapy session. <laughs> and it was really, really funny. Like, like and it was just I don't know. I love that moment. And I feel like it was so cool that if you watch the new Afterlife film, um, Jason brings that. He went back to the archival footage found the print, uh, found the actual film and put that shot in afterlife. I mean, that to me is just like, what a full circle, like great story. Um, But anyway, so the point I'm trying to make is like, I feel like Ivan Reitman, I don't, I don't think that I gave him the greatest appreciation when he was living a filmmaker. I'm like, I I felt like I loved all of his movies, but I just didn't really, I I never really took into account how much he affected me. And when we, when we talked to him on the show, Ghostbusters was a big deal, but then Dave, I'm a kindergarten cop, hey. twins. I mean, this well, guy was crushing it, just low key crushing it. Gabe, for can we whole, can whole we quickly do a two film challenge, Ivan Reitman, or or no? Um, we can, oh, that's a good one. We can quickly, sure, an unofficial one because we'll probably want to do that on premium sometime. But well, off the top, we don't have to agree on what are your two. What are your individual two? I mean, got, to me, Ghostbusters has to be on there. Yeah, yeah. And then the debate of the other one, I'd probably go kindergarten cop. Kindergarten cop. Yeah, I'm okay with you that. You think those two? I mean I, would, yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a case to be made for Dave because it's so completely okay. the opposite that would be of the, the spectrum. Other one I would take. But I'm Great. not going to like, I, kindergarten cop is not the hill I'm going to die on. You know, it's also, like it's, one thing I want to give Ivan Reitman credit for before we move on is his material was darker than I think people thought. Like Ghostbusters is like a PG movie. Th- those films had like dark material. They dealt with mm-hmm. real themes, real thematics, mature elements. Kindergarten Cop is a really dark movie. That was PG-13. But like at the end of the day, I felt I always felt like his even the fantastical side of his stuff always had this like super su- amazing grounded nature to it. Even mm-hmm. Ghostbusters, even, you know, and I don't know. I love I love I love that we had him on. Uh, we obviously miss him, um, and I'm just appreciative that we got to talk to him and um, that people are talking about his work and his body of work now because he's brilliant. Absolutely. All right, before we yeah. move on with the show, we're going to take a quick break to play some ads, and we'll see you on the other side. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. 
If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And we are back. Uh, we're going to dive into the footage that was shown at the Super Bowl this past weekend. And yes, I know that it's Friday and a whole week has passed by, but there are trailers that were shown that gave away a lot of really significant things that we wanted to comment on, starting with the uh, very, very expensive uh, and mildly disappointing uh, first look at the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. And listen, I'm I'm going to take myself out of the conversation to initially uh, and I'll throw it over to my two Lord of the Rings defenders, starting with you, Jakey. Uh, what was your opinion on the first look at the Amazon Prime video series, the very, very expensive Amazon Prime video series, Lord of the Rings? I think the thing that concerns me most about it is my big it, it's almost the exact problem I had with The Hobbit is that it's just it doesn't look like they shot as much practically as I was hoping would. I mean, the thing about Lord of the, the original Lord of the Rings trilogy is it's all over New Zealand, baby. I mean, uh, Peter Jackson went to the, the edges of the earth to, to shoot beautiful the practical middle. locations. Yeah, they are. There you go. Better picture. Um, and, and the <laughs> Hobbit is a, is a rushed, botched CGI blue screen extravaganza. Yeah. And this looks a little bit more like The Hobbit than I would like. Um, look, I, I'm I, I was sold even before a trailer. Um, but I will say that um, if there's a speedometer on my excitement, if there's a needle moving, uh, it, the trailer didn't move. It didn't it didn't swing it the negative direction, but it definitely didn't move it that much in, in the positive direction either. OK. All right. And this is their first look like this is yeah. the this is the get everyone excited. look. Yeah. So, yeah. Kev, did it work for you? Well, I got a little worried the day they released that title treatment. Uh, video where like the behind the scenes of it looked better than the final product right. um, for people who don't know what I'm referring to. Like they, they did this like they did this title reveal um, and they actually poured like molten steel. Which it looked CGI. Yeah. Yeah. But like in, 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 in it all filled in and, and showed the title. And then they released this behind the scenes video um, that showed how it was done. And it was it looked a thousand times better than the video I just seen, which was the finalized version. So that, that was my first red flag. I was like, okay, all right, first of all, you have to understand I'm a massive Lord of the Rings fan. I I actually prefer Lord of the Rings to star Wars. And that's just my personal preference. I mean, I I think that trilogy, that original trilogy of Lord of the Rings is is masterful. Um, So I'm all in Peter Jackson. You know, I'm, I'm all in on him um, in terms of that world. Um, But without him directing, uh, I'm, I'm a bit concerned. And I think, my my only thing is, do I did I did I need this story to make me? Does it fulfill something I don't know about Lord but, of the Rings? But would you rather yet? have this story than? I mean, my initial complaint was like, seriously, are they redoing Lord of the? Like, I know what happens. I would much right. rather have this story than them rehash oh. everything we've already seen. 
No, I have no problem with like a newer storyline. I mean, but I also I also don't care about the Game of Thrones prequel stuff. Like, what I'm, if it's what if it's better called Song? I'm just Game of, just, Game of Thrones prequel. I'm just not really that into the, the, like, dude, I mean, the whole like Mad King and the House of the Targaryen, with, like the dragons and all. Like, dude, I feel like that's gonna be awesome. Yeah, but they messed up the eight, the the last season of that show so badly but that, that's, that I'm that's just a, but that's but I have a bad taste in my that's mouth. D and D. I have a bad taste in my mouth from Game of Thrones. I, re- I just do. Um, but in terms of Lord of the Rings, I mean, the footage didn't do anything for me that I wasn't already. I mean, I was already kind of on the fence. The price tag on this is ridiculous. Um, All of our Prime subscriptions are going to go up. Oh, it's it's. Did you guys read like, that? Like they're saying that like there is a very real possibility that because of Lord of the Rings, Prime. I love Prime. Well, but you're about to pay to love it more. Uh, I told you guys worry about and Bezos, you have Lord right? of the Rings to thank. <laughs> I was at so, I was at the solo premiere for Star Wars and I, and I saw Bezos in the corner and I walked up and said, just want to say I really love Amazon Prime. <laughs> That's literally what I said to him. <laughs> I'm not thing. kidding you. Um, but in, in all honesty, uh, I, I'm intrigued. I will say this. Like, I wasn't at all interested in watching Reacher. And now I'm obsessed with it. So there's a total possibility that I might throw Lord of the Rings on and it might blow my mind. I'm yeah, just you won't I'm know just, until you see it. I'm just not like with like Jake said, I'm not feeling it yet i'm like uh, okay so yeah, I'll, I, I'll watch I, it i rewatched it i rewatched the trailer after because i watched it during the super bowl and then i went back and re and it was a weird it's a weird mix of some really epic you know uh landscape shots and then they'll cut to like a character and the character looks like they're in a uh a set like a very yes. like a very deliberate set yes and then it'll be like waterfall massive you know and then it cuts to that person hanging from the ice and they look like they're like on a platform you know in a studio so that weird it's like they need to figure that out but that's yeah. that can all be polished out later and it looks like a ton of new characters and so maybe you get invested in that world like who's to say i don't know so we'll see. listen i'm um, all in weird, I, weird to the- say when I saw the first Lord of the Rings, <laughs> when I saw Fellowship of the Ring, I didn't yeah. know I didn't read the Tolkien books. So I was a fan based on what Peter did. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was all in just on that material. So this could blow my mind. You never know, man. So we got the first trailer for uh, Nope, which ah. is the new the new Jordan Peele. And I have to say that my reaction to it immediately was deep confusion because I had no clue what this movie was going to be about at all. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden we're on a horse ranch and uh you know this 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 massive cloud and i still don't necessarily like i mean there's a great tease because i still don't really know what it's about but even the setting caught me off guard it seemed a little more modern than i thought it was Mm going to be maybe my expectations or or my pre pre supposition making a board there i'm not yeah i'm gonna bail because i don't when i quite know what i was saying uh my preconceived notions of what it was going to be uh threw me off that's great i mean that's what i wanted sure. out of that trailer um someone got a screen grab i think it was adam frazier got a screen grab of what looks to be the head of an alien a tiny yeah. little alien peeking out somewhere wait oh wait that, that's different you're talking that's different than like the the what looks like a woman in a dress and the veil floating up yeah and you see the yes. it's, it's different different, oh, different i need to go see yeah, this yeah. it's on adam frazier's twitter account possibly yeah, there's uh yeah the, the actor is like in the corner and you can see the head of what we think to be an alien yeah, yeah um yeah. which I, th- I think is prominently placed on purpose to mess oh so you think that. it is you think it's extraterrestrials i don't know i mean here's the thing so my most anticipated movie of the year is this film i mean yeah. and, and so there's a lot going on here i mean get out and us, I think Jordan is now ever since get out is an event filmmaker like this is this is I can't wait to see whatever he does. I don't care what it is. I don't care yeah. if Daniel Kaluuya is reading the newspaper for two hours. I will watch Jordan Peele's new movie. 
On top of that, that sounds like a terrible sh- movie. This one shot on film. <laughs> Hoyt Van Hoytema shot this movie. They shot yeah. 35 and 65 mil film, um, not digital. Uh, Michael Abel's returning to score it, who's a brilliant, brilliant composer um, who did Get Out and Us. Um, what I love about the trailer is it gives you nothing, but it gives you everything. Um, I'm, I, I, I didn't walk away from the trailer knowing anything more than I already did. It's just about the, like, the, the idea of what it might be. Um, but I mean, I've seen people mess around with the title. I'm trying to stay away from online theories because I don't want theories to become yeah. reality. But yeah. like, nope, apparently could mean not of planet Earth which is like a, a an acronym ah, that could be used for that, um, okay. which would play with the uh, alien aspect of it. But I mean, like the final yeah. shot of the actress flying through the air. Right. Is and that's awesome. again, I'm trying to stay away from theories, but there's a there's I've been reading. I read something about that could possibly be like a gravity thing where things are falling or things are going falling upward Was versus down. I don't know. Um, but I mean, he's Hoytema, not, not Nolan. I mean, I mean <laughs> Hoytema shot Hoytema shot. Dunkirk, Interstellar, Ad Astra, Tenet. Um, I love Ad Astra. I think the thing that excites me most about this movie less is is about what it's about and more about what is it going to say? Because like Jordan Peele's movies like always say something and it's like, okay, if if this is his alien invasion, if this is his like dark R rated close encounters. Cool. But what is what's that? There's a great old Roger Ebert quote, and it's something about like, I don't love what movies say I love how they say it mm-hmm. and that's and that's kind of what I'm intrigued about is like okay like cool if it's aliens it is you know whatever but like it's not just going to be that like he's going right. to use aliens to say something yeah and that's what I'm intrigued about that's why I really think he's one of the most exciting storytellers um because whether he whether he's doing sort of you know the the you know the thriller aspect from from get out or the straight up horror aspect from uh from us or alien evasion it's not just that right um and right. that's yeah. why i'm sold on peel i think they want us to think it's aliens i have i have a feeling that he's not going to be playing with aliens i don't know um all i know is that this guy has one of the most incredible minds of any filmmaker working today get out is arguably one of the greatest scripts i've ever read number I mean, one it is it is perfect script um yeah and even so Sorkin i am admitted that it was yeah i'm telling you it is this guy is on a different level and i almost feel like he's still trying to prove that that you already know it i feel like um he is he is exceptional um and i will I, the title's perfect everything about the trailer was awesome um, the only thing i'm gonna I'm, say i'm all in all i know in. you're all in i know you're all in um no one has a perfect filmography right like he does Some, so far somewhere along the way. Jordan Peele is going to slip. He's going to slip. It's just inevitable. Actually, like no one, no I one makes disagree, a perfect film. Disagree with you. Who, what is Paul Thomas Anderson's slip up? Inherent vice. Uh, you, you're wrong. A, you're just wrong. It's not a bad movie. It's not a bad movie, but I don't love inherent vice, but it's not a bad movie. I, I, for me, I think I grew to love it, but, but there will be blood didn't work for me the first time I watched it again. You're wrong about that. Yes. Yeah, you guys are just too. wrong. It's not necessarily oh, it has a bad movie. All right. What's Fincher? What's Fincher? <laughs> oh, I don't like up. Magnolia. I, I, I really can't stand oh. Magnolia. I mean, that's like yeah, one but, of his, but you can't deny that Magnolia is not a well-received film. I'm, I'm, talking, about, I'm talking about like saying that every filmmaker eventually has a slip up and I'm not, you're not wrong. I mean, Cameron made Avatar. Um, but at the end of the day, Generally, there are a few that don't have it. Tarantino has never had a slip up. What's his? Hmm. What's uh, what's to me, Fincher's? I, it's Kill Bill Volume Two. <laughs> yeah. What's Fincher's? 
Fincher's is probably girl with the dragon tattoo. Panic, uh, panic room. I thought you were gonna say mink. could be could be panic room. Well, it's Alien Three. If we're really being honest, yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's a, Don't tell yeah. me that it's got the name David Fincher yeah, on it. Jordan Peele is in. That's doing like a saying that Justice movie. League is uh, the original cut it's is Snyder's, the, Snyder's fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah come I, on. Know. I know. Ooh, Sean good, wrote a whole good book argument about on this one. one. <laughs> What? I'm just kidding. What? But, 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 but uh, my, my point being is that, like, you're right. I mean, eventually a fil- filmmaker will hit a lull or, yeah, or yeah. they'll. But, but like, but like, and, and or already, like you hit a you hit a single instead of a home run. He's not going to you, you don't you don't hit a home run at every at bat. Eventually, he's going to hit a right. double. What yeah. bothered me the most, though, about us and I loved us. It, obviously, I did. I saw it five times in theaters. Everybody compared it to get out. So everybody was just yeah. like. Oh, us wasn't as good as Get Out, and I get it. We're all. I think we're, it is. We're, I think it's really good. I mean, do you think? Oh, do you think the know. same I, thing happened as Spielberg when Close Encounters came out? Do you think people were like, "Oh my God, it's not as good as Jaws"? Right, but no. My my, my point is, I, I thought Us was equally as great as Get Out. My my point is though is that like when you have a hit like Get Out, it's it, it it's so hard to step out of that wake of that hit and and find grounding. And like I think like Us was a really risky move for his second film. It was a really risky film. It I do want to say while we're on that discussion of like, you know, could he slip or whatever? I think it was around the the promotion of us. He was he's had a quote, which I'm going to paraphrase about basically about how he started directing pretty later in his career. Yeah. And so he takes every single shot that he gets very seriously. And I think mm-hmm. we're going to see more of a Tarantino trajectory where like maybe mm-hmm. when he's all said and done, he's only made 10 films. But they're yeah. going to be ten, 10 films that he took the time to make. And that's interesting. Not necessarily. Yeah. Like, he basically said, like, I don't have time for to make a studio movie. I right. need to make as many original movies as I can. That's cool. Because do you because think I they're all so going to be under the horror umbrella? No, um, I, I think I think there'll I think, be a suspense element. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't see him going back and doing like a Key and Peele type comedy movie. God, Key and Peele is genius. And I could. And I love could. Keanu. Keanu is brilliant. But I think I feel like if he does a film like that with like Keegan again, it'll still be kind of. He will direct kind of, it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, well, see, I, I, I would, would love to see them I, do a comedy. I would love to see him direct a. A oh, horror comedy. Would I want to awesome. see a, a two-hour movie about the the valet guys. Yeah, oh and it's, it's just celebrities. It's just celebrities. Bruce Willie. <laughs> one one little piece of minutia that I want to mention. This is really cool. Um, so Peel's actually taking a little bit of the Nolan route for this movie. I'm not only is he using Hoytema to shoot the film, but they're gonna have like full-blown one-four-three IMAX shots in this movie, um, which is the first time he's ever done it. Um, cause I don't think us or get out had any IMAX. Um, this is going to be like a pure, pure filmmaking project. Not that get out and us weren't, but to bring in a DP like Hoynema and shoot IMAX film, this is going to be, yeah. I feel like this is like, he has the budget now he can do what the hell he wants. And, but I, you know, I hope the upper, the higher budget doesn't affect the quality. Cause we've seen that happen sometimes, sure. but I'm all in, man. I think Peel is, also, Kiki Palmer looks amazing. Yeah. I love, her. I love oh, Kiki Palmer. Also, one thing I love about him, about uh, Jordan, I didn't know that about that, 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 that visual of the horse. No. I did not know that. I did like, not know history behind that. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that's a real story. I, guess. I, I mean, they, yeah. he presents it th- that way, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. I've seen that image a million times, but. All right. Yeah. Let's move on to uh, the latest from Marvel Studios coming off of the heels of Spider-Man no way home where dr strange helped him uh to tear a hole in the multiverse 
And now Strange is going to be dealing with the repercussions of that. We have Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, a Sam Raimi film. If ever I've seen a Sam Raimi film, uh, it leans very heavily into the kinetic uh, action style of of Sam Raimi, of the horror element that Sam Raimi has. Somebody tweeted and I it, it was an interesting uh, question of like, if the, if this is as much of a horror film as as it looks to be, why didn't they keep Scott Derrickson? Uh, one day I want to hear that story. You know, yeah. I want to really want to hear what hear happened. It. But no, we, we still have, we still haven't really heard the Edgar Wright Ant Man story. True, very true. Um, okay, but let me ask you something. Yeah, the the whole like in this trailer, like looks like the world and the universe is being ripped apart and torn apart and turned into cubes. <laughs> is all of this happening because Peter Parker didn't get into college? Um, maybe. Yeah, kind of. Is that, <laughs> that going to be the root of the universe being torn apart? Is What's it Peter funny? Parker and MJ didn't get into college? What's funny about what Jake is saying, the first time I, I saw I don't, no, mean, I don't mean that in a dickish way. No, no, no. I'm, I'm actually going to yeah. uh, uh, agree with you on this, because um, when I first saw No Way Home, the biggest hump I had to get over mentally was believing that they would that that strange would actually cast this spell hmm. to help him get into college, which has these ramifications. But that's his. But, but that's but his. That, that's oh, no, his no, weakness I, as a character, though. That's the point I'm making. Sure, that's the point yeah. I'm making is like like. I, as an audience member, and I think that's probably what John Watts wanted, was he, like, like I was talking about this the other day, they were like, when I was watching No Way Home, I was just yelling at the screen saying, why would they open up a port, uh, open up this portal just to help them with college, whatever it was. And I, that is an actual th- question that I had as an audience member. But as the film progressed mm-hmm. and Watts' story progressed, it made perfect sense. Yeah, it was Because it, it's, it's a Peter it's Parker same, concern. It's not a Spider-Man right. concern. It's also the same reason why... Uh, uh, that whole situation with him and Aunt May about about putting them back where they are, and mm-hmm. and, and he wants to help their arcs, right? Yeah. And like an, again, another question: like, why would why is he risking people's lives to help these villains? And so going back to um the, to Jake's point just now, it is an interesting thing if you think about it. The actual root of what's happening dr- dramatically and from a villain perspective is happening because Peter Parker didn't get into college. I mean, yeah, that is actually largely. the, when you think about it, when you sum it down to its, its actual point, but I mean, well, again, there's one the, other the argument though. There's one the argument element. to that though, real fast is that he's a kid. Yeah. Remember, sure. He's a, he's, yeah. A, he's a high school kid who is dealing with a sorcerer who's, who's casting spells and opening up portals. I mean, like there's no logic. The kids just, sure. he's just well, worried about his girlfriend. You know what I'm saying though? But there's like, logic he's a kid. from a, he's a there's kid. A logic from a character perspective. Like you're saying, he's a kid. And also that's, that's Dr. Strange's sort of weakness as a character right. is that he is his hubris. And he's like, Oh, if someone tells me I can't do something yeah. as whatever, good, I'm going to try to do it. Oh, it's like, cause Wong tells him not to do it. And exactly. he's like, Oh no, I can he's do always, it. No, he's always yeah. trying to break that barrier. There's of, another, being able to do something there's another element to this which is whatever happened at the end of loki like i want to know when oh, that happened exactly See, yeah, that's good I, how that ties in so let me ask you this my problem with the mcu series and i think we have, i'm not gonna dive into this as a long tirade but my, what's fascinating about loki is and we've had this discussion on the show before is how much those those shows will actually affect story in the mcu movies yeah. there, there's a way they can rely on the audience having seen Loki when they when when that story if that story point comes up again they're going to have to retcon that they're going to have to explain it like backup Jimmy will have to come in somehow and like you know and, and explain it to the audience because at the well, end of Jonathan, the day you can't assume people saw Loki you can't right. Jonathan Majors is due to show up in the Ant-Man and the Wasp 
quantum media film. So maybe we'll that's have to re-explain it, it comes yeah. up. Well, well I mean, is, is, can we ask oh, now? Here's the big question everyone's talking about it, it. One, that's absolutely Patrick Stewart, right? That's absolutely Patrick Stewart's voice. Yes. But a is Disney it Professor X? Confirm that. But is it um, a Professor X? I heard it's a variant. Maybe it's what I was thinking. Someone said yeah. it was a variant. So the idea is that the multiverse is, is open now, right? And that the characters that we know from the existing MCU aren't going to be the same characters. So, mm-hmm. yes, he's uh, Patrick Stewart. But which Charles Xavier is he? Like, is he the Charles Xavier that you know from the Fox X-Men movies? Or sure. is he a different version of him uh, oh, that, that could Patrick have Stewart some so tweaks? Much. Or versions. No, he's fantastic. What, do you subscribe to the um, big bold theories? Which I feel like we do this every time there's a Marvel or a Star Wars show, and we end up being yeah. disappointed when they're not yeah. true. Again, ninety percent right. of the time they're not true. Do you, you subscribe the, to the uh, and Boba Fett? I, I, I'm yeah. You're. I, I subscribe to the theory that we were going to get a good finale, and I was wrong. It's a great finale. Um, uh, <laughs> I, do you subscribe to the theory that we're going to get? Like a John Krasinski Captain America or a Tom Cruise Iron Man. I believe the Tom Cruise Iron Man theory. Do you? I do. I don't believe the Krasinski one. The elements that they showed in that trailer um, suggested the Illuminati and the Illuminati. I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm ignorant. Tell me what that means. Okay. So the group that was bringing Strange in after he got handcuffed and the robots were leading him in. Yes. They were bringing him before a board that looks to be the Illuminati, because in the comics, and this is going to get super geeky, but in the comics, there is a uh, a secret group called the Illuminati that is formed by uh, Charles Xavier, Reed Richards, Tony Stark, uh, Namor and Black Bolt. Uh, And they're all members of other teams but they get together to say when there's a massive, massive problem, uh, we're going to get together separately and figure out how we're going to solve it kind of thing. And they don't do everything. Oh, and Dr. Strange is a member of that of the Illuminati as well, too. So that was the board that was kind of sitting in front of them. And Xavier is going to be one of them. Now, I've heard rumors that the Illuminati in this uh, MCU and in the interpretation of the MCU is going to be different and not use all those exact same characters. But I have heard that Reed Richards is part of it. Uh, suggesting that the MCU already has cast, you know, part of its Fantastic Four and that they are going to have Do you think it. it's Krasinski? No, I don't think it's Krasinski. I think that's too much fan casting. That feels like the uh, we're going down a rabbit hole of Star Wars theories, but mm. I don't think that's going to be the case. A question on that point, though. Couldn't yeah. they kind of they don't have to commit to anything, right? Because anything in this could be a variant that's not correct. MCU. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, I understand why they're saying like it could be Krasinski because there's been so much fan casting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was Yoan Groford who played him in the earlier Fox ones. Uh, or oh, I wouldn't that's be surprised a, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, like some people are saying Chris Evans might show up as a human. Tourist. I was saying, like, I think, oh, that would be kind of OK. I would love that. Be, Could you I imagine think that's too much? That'd and be so, huge. And so Tony Stark, when you get to the Tony Stark variant, you know, yes, the one in the MCU is dead, but there could be plenty who exist in other universes. Yeah. yeah. And Tom Cruise famously almost got the part before Robert Downey Jr. did. And and so they would use Tom Cruise. Uh, is that the only oh, way they could get Tom there. Cruise in the MCU is just a one off variant? I think so. That'll pop I think, pop I think so, too. Wait, so theoretically, you think Tom Cruise is in Doctor Strange, too? As well, Iron Man. There was because there's that <laughs> shot of a of a character that either looks like. Captain Marvel, who um, it's they're like they're glowing and they're flying it at Wanda. And some people have said that that is either uh, Monica Rambeau from WandaVision as Mm. a Captain Marvel 
or that it's Tom Cruise in a uh, Tony Stark suit that's called the Superior Iron Man, uh, where he has a different variant suit uh, and it's silver instead of the orange. And, and and the creator of that character, whose name is Tom Taylor, uh, tweeted something where he said, I don't have any connections and I don't know anything that's happening, but I'm just going to let you guys know that when we uh, created this character, uh, they it, we designed the suits so that it would glow orange and red uh, when he was angry. And he posted a picture of that screen grab from the trailer. Wow. So so could it be Tom Cruise? Maybe. But the thing That'd is, awesome. I think if they showed Patrick Stewart in this trailer, then that means to me that they have, you know, 10 other mind blowing things yeah, that they're hiding. Right, exactly. And uh, and they felt yeah. like, all right, we'll give you Patrick Stewart. I got to say, though, I, I now that you've pitched this idea, I want to see Dr. Strange's reaction when he sees Chris Evans as the human torch. Like yeah. When he sees Chris Evans walking out and he that actually has the potential to be an emotional moment. Like he thinks it's Steve Rogers and he's sure. basically like, I'm not Steve Rogers. What are you talking about? Or like, even that just be another Tony moment. Stark. What about another uh, Tony Stark? Yeah. Right. Because. He gave him oh, the and whole... then, oh, there'd be a great moment. Where he was like, oh, like you're still an asshole. Like, like, <laughs> like, like Tom Cruise, as Tony Stark says something snarky. And he's like, oh, even in another universe, you're still an asshole. Yes. And uh, if you go back and watch the trailer, there are like five different strangers uh, that we've seen that show up. Zombie. Oh, God, now I want to see this movie, even though it's There's probably not even the real movie. But I want to see this <laughs> yeah. one. If yeah. Sam Raimi uh, doesn't want... throw on Cranberry's zombie during that moment, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing <laughs> with his life. He's By listening way, right under... now and he's like, shoot, I got to get on underrated that. Sam Raimi film. Drag me to hell. Got to mention. Oh, drag... I, love I love that. Dude, the, the last shot of that movie is great. Ooh. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That's I haven't so good. It in a really long time. It's very good. Go back and rewatch it's, it. really it's, good. It's him doing Evil Dead in 2020 or yeah, 20. Yeah. 2000, sorry, 2000. Whatever it was, yeah. yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna also shout out a simple plan, which is fantastic. Oh, dude, that, you, that, dude, that, that was his cold my, run. That's one of my favorite movie endings of all time. It's incredible. Yeah. All right, uh, this week in movies, we have a movie coming to Netflix called Fistful of Vengeance, which sounds fantastic, but I don't think any of us have seen it. Have we seen it? No? Nope. Okay, the movie called The Cursed coming to theaters. Anyone seen it? Nope. We're only a movie podcast. We have seen Dog. Yes, Jake, we have. you're the dog lover in the in the podcast family. Why don't you tell us about dog? Um, so the, the, it actually has kind of a sad backstory to it. Um, so Channing Tatum, he, he co-directs the film um, and he kind of pitched this idea. His dog, Lulu, in real life, passed away in 2018. And before Lulu passed, um, he basically threw her in a car and they went on a road trip together. And the idea of that inspired the premise of this movie which is that a um a man has to drive a fallen soldier's dog across the country to attend uh the fallen soldier's funeral okay. and it's kind of all of the like not to be just like the wacky hijinks they get in together while on this road trip mm-hmm. um good angle yes it's a good angle and it's got some beats for me that that really worked and then it's got some beats for me that were massive misfires. I mean, the thing with a road trip movie is it's basically I mean, road trip movies are collections of moments, right? Mm-hmm. It's I mean, the, the plot, you can't really have the plot be it's a road trip. And, you know, it's got to that things have to happen along the way. And, and unfortunately, the things that happened to them, some of them really worked for me. One of them. There, there's to me two very conflicting ideas in terms of, of what this movie wanted to be and it couldn't decide which one it wanted to be there's a moment 
where um, someone steals his military jacket and he chases after the man. And when he's getting the jacket back, he screams at him about stolen valor. Like, you mm. can't can't wear that man. Stolen valor. You can't do that, which I understand. But then there's another moment in the film where Channing Tatum pretends to be a, uh, a wounded veteran and pretends to be blind mm. and pretends that the dog is a seeing eye dog in order to get a free hotel room at yeah, a swanky hotel. Yeah. yeah. And to me, those are two very completely different movies. Mm. Like you're telling me this man is angry that someone stole his jacket and it is going to scream stolen valor. But this is the same man that's willing to pretend to be a wounded soldier and blind in order to get a free. Ho- like I just the fact that it's like this same man made these two very wildly drastic decisions. And so it just felt like they came up with this idea, which is a good, strong idea. And then didn't know what to do on the road trip and just kind of came up and just scattered some moments. And the okay. moments don't all agree with each other. They don't they don't all seem fluid that they were decisions yeah. made by the same person, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense whatsoever. No, I completely agree. It's the same exact way I viewed the film. I was like, oh, like like the character choices made no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was like. And I, and I get I want to try different ways to be dramatic and different ways to create tension and, and, and elements like that. But at the end of the day, it I was taken out of the movie so much going, wait a second, why is he doing this? Like the 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 blind moment really bothered me. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I was I was like, this just seems and I and, you know, the the idea of it and you understand why he's doing it, but it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't hmm. feel like it, it, I don't know. It wasn't a good character choice yeah. i thought okay. um and you know the intention like, i don't find that to be funny right. like and, and, then, then, and then there's yeah. a moment he's he's like i think it's in the, he's found out and then all of a sudden he's like oh i can see and i'm like i know that's being played yeah. for a laugh but that's not funny yeah, it wasn't me. funny but and, and and the scene here's the thing at the end of the day you could ask channing and read about that moment they might have a completely different intention about what they were trying to do with that scene but as an audience member i found that that whole sequence to be completely out of place. Uh, um, everything that he did along the way, every place he stopped at, it just felt like it was the strangest idea of what they were going to mix him up. Then they were just going to put him in some crazy mm-hmm. situation with these, like with the, the two women in that one particular scene. It, it was just yeah. like at one by like just, one point, like like uh, a weed. He ends up at a weed farm. Yeah, I and mean, like it was almost like, gets killed at the weed farm, but then becomes friends with the weed grower, and it's just it's a strange collection of of ideas. Yeah, it's just almost it it would have been a much heavier and different film. But there's there's part of me that just sort of went, even though I would have known what would have like the original story of of Channing with his dog. Like, I know I only have a couple of weeks left, so let's go on a road trip. That to me would have been a better movie. That's called Finch. (laughs) Don't get me going on Finch. Uh, Are we going to have Reed on the show? Yes. Well, I, do. I want to mention that earlier this week yeah. uh, on Wednesday, a bonus episode of Real Blend dropped and it had uh, Reed Carolyn, who is the co-director uh, and a longtime collaborator with Channing Tatum. So uh, go back and listen to that. He's got some really great insights into the movie and into the marketing of the movie and filming in COVID and working with Channing and some stuff about their Gambit script that uh, they are still hoping to one day get off the ground. Ooh. And so. Go back and seek that out. It's a bonus episode on Real Blend. Um, let's get into Uncharted, the new, the biggest movie that's opening this week. Tom Holland stepping into the role of Nathan Drake uh, in an adaptation of a very, very popular comic book movie and directed by Ruben Fleischer. Um, 
I'm going to talk about the one thing that that I couldn't get over in this movie, and then I'll get on to the things that worked really, really well. Um, I I don't like that they didn't cast Nathan Drake at his age in the movie um, and that they went younger. And I understand the decision uh, and you get a longer shelf life out of a franchise if you start with a younger actor. And there are definitely moments later in the the Uncharted video game series. Like, like, Like earn, earn a shelf life. Before you yes. worry, like, like maybe just cast the role as it's meant to be cast, which they tried to do for years. Like Mark Wahlberg would have made yeah. sense as Nathan Drake. And when he was going to be Nathan Drake, he actually said like his Sully was either going to be like Robert De Niro or there was one other name that was in consideration for it. Um, and there is a moment later in the game when you do play some adventures, but it's like Uncharted three or four. I forget which one where you do play as like teenage Nathan and you have to go, you know, running through different towns and, and solving more. Is it two? All right. Um, but by that point, you've established who Nate, Nate is and you're invested into that story. And so when you play him as a younger person, it it's a it's a side detour, but it still makes a little bit of sense. It, this would be akin to uh, instead of starting with Harrison Ford uh, as Indiana Jones, if you started with River Phoenix and tried to launch the Indiana Jones franchise. Um, and I think Tom Holland does fine. Um, but he's not Nathan Drake to me. Like it's, that's just not the character that I thought of when I wanted to see uh, this film or this movie video game get adapted into a movie format. That being said, the situations that the characters get put in are very much uncharted. Uh, mm. The treasure seeking stuff and the puzzles to, to solve are fun. And the second half and third half, the set pieces that happen in those are truly spectacular. Like they've hinted at both of them in the trailers. Uh, one involves them f- falling from the airplane and involves all the different crates and, and fighting with the people inside and outside of the plane. And that is really, really well done. And I think it's it's truly harrowing and you're kind of on the edge of your seat. And then there's a bit with the, with two pirate ships that are being carried by helicopters and and they are largely practical. There's a lot of practical sets that they are swinging around on and jumping through and and all of that works really well. So I guess it's OK that the movie is one of those films to me. That starts slow, but then ramps up to two really exciting uh, acts, because I'd rather that than a movie that sort of peaks early and then tails off. But just know going into it that if you are a diehard fan of the games, um, it's not quite your Nathan Drake, (laughs) not just yet. Um, But the action to me was was worthy. And I actually would say if you are going to to go see it, that you'd go see it in IMAX because those action set pieces kind of warrant the extra ticket. So uh, I don't know where you guys felt on it. Kev, what did you think of it? I, I mean, I was personally super surprised how much I enjoyed it. Now, oh, cool. is it is it it's basically national treasure, but not as good as yeah. I, I would put it. Um, and then with Indiana Jones, obviously mixed into it. To me, it was the it was it was the action set pieces that were I thought were awesome. Um, the that whole sequence on the plane with the the when he gets hit by the car, which is in the trailer and the cartons and everything. That was an amazing sequence. Um, the third act has an amazing action sequence. I enjoyed Holland and Wahlberg together that they were fun. Um, but you know, did I walk away with anything new? Did it, did it, did it push boundaries? Did it change, you know, that genre for me? Not really at all. I mean, I didn't play the game. So I think a lot of people who played the game, they're going to have a a certain mindset going into this where they expect it to be a certain way or whatever it is. And that's going to be a different viewing experience. Mm -hmm from somebody who had never played the game and just sat down in the theater just, just to watch the film, just to see what it was. I mean, I was entertained. Mm-hmm. Um, was I blown away? No. 
would I go out on a Saturday night and spend twenty dollars to see it in theaters? Probably not. I'd probably go to like a, a matinee, spend a little cheaper. Um, you know, it, it, it's a good, you know, solid May action film. It's definitely worth seeing in a theater because of the sound and the and the and the picture and the action sequences are fantastic and the score is great. Um, but I don't know that I would spend full IMAX pricing to go to that movie. I mean, it's it it just did it did what it was supposed to do. It had some good action. Holland was great. Um, he yeah. leads the film well. Um, I know it doesn't sound like a ringing is, is endorsement. Super impressive. I yeah, mean, but you really... got to give him credit for all the. I mean, like a lot of that action he's doing for real. It's really cool to me. That yeah, was yeah. kind of like the reason why I liked it was the action, having the star in those moments. So it it works. It works for me. I didn't love it, but it worked for me. The knock on Tom Holland to me, uh, and I I like Tom Holland a lot, is that he's very polished. He's just a very polished uh, actor, you know. Mm-hmm. So when you have him play the rough and tumble uh, treasure seeker. He doesn't wear it as well as, you know, Harrison Ford did yeah. without every every man sort of personality. So, Jakey, you had fun with it as well, too, though. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, I would say uh, the first two acts, like I sort of had this attitude of like, yeah, I enjoy this. Mm. This is a, a lesser version of movies I've seen before, but I still enjoy it. Like, you know, it is what it is. Is it? Yeah. I mean, we've made comparisons to Raiders and to uh, National Treasure. And, and you're right. It's not as good as either of those. But it's good. It's fine. The last act, once you hit the moment that you see in the trailer with the plane, is where it kind of all snapped into gear for me, where I was like, okay, now I'm into this. The ridiculous, where where it almost sort of remembers that it's an Uncharted movie. Yeah. And that's when I sort of went like, okay, like I I loved the whole thing with 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 the plane. I loved the pirate ships being carried by helicopters and they're fighting each other between the pirate ships. I Mm. loved the insane ridiculousness of that. Mm. Um, Everything. So I, for me, this is, um, I I know like three and a half out of five, isn't a very sexy rating, but like a very, a very happy, enthusiastic three and a half out of five. That's exactly what I gave it on cinema one. So yeah, Yeah. three and a half. I mean, it's, it's right in the middle. It's fun, you know, but like, Again, as we are seeing, as people try to, you know, people are leaving their houses less and less these days to go to films. Mm. You know, you're sending people to a theater to see a film and and you're, you know, you want them to have an amazing night. Uncharted will deliver entertainment for sure. Um, It's not like at the end of the day, I think Jackass is better for your money. I think Scream's better for your money. I think, um, you know, but but Uncharted's fun. It's and it's the only real big release before Batman. So I think the games. I think the gamers are going to go out to see it. They're yeah. going to. They'll be curious what, to see how. It what plays. do you think it opens to this weekend? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I did want to do that actually. Um, I see. I don't think it. I'm saying thirty. I was, I was going to say twenty-five. I'm saying thirty. Thirty. I'm not, yeah, I want to say Tom Holland has a fan base, but his non-Spider-Man movies haven't done anything. So I, I don't really, know. Well, but I mean, what 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 non Spider Man movies is really? Ha- I mean, Ch- Cherry was streaming. Um, the the Devil movie was streaming. Mm. So I mean, is this his first real non Spider Man test? Oh, chaos walking. Jake, what'd you say? Twenty five. Yeah, I was gonna say twenty five. Sean said thirty. I said thirty. I'm gonna Kev, go. Uh, Split the difference. Say twenty seven and a half. Twenty seven point five. Twenty five and one dollar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Scream did thirty. This. I think this will do. Yeah, but I feel like more more people were asking me about Scream than are asking oh, me about Uncharted. I no think question. gamers are going to. I think Sean's right. Gamers, about gamers are going to go. I'm going to go 40. Ooh. All right. Okay. Ooh, what's 40. the what's the number? What does it need to make for Sony to be happy? 
They'll be happy with 30. Okay. They would be happy with that. They, uh, they would be happy with number one. Really? Sure. They just want the number one slot. No, I mean, I, it did pretty decent numbers internationally over the weekend. Oh, did it really? Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Eh, there you go. See? Yeah. Kevin might be right yeah. with 40. I mean, yeah, like 35, 40, but I'll, I'll just go 40 just to, just to spice up. No, the I feel, now I feel like the pes- the pessimist of the group. No, I but I would probably would have said 30 initially. And then I'm like, then the gamer thing and Holland's big and I don't know. Yeah, we, we shall see. I am so excited to play this week's blend game because it is a an icon who is very near and dear to my heart. Have you met him? Yes, I did. Yeah. Interviewed him for uh, Jumanji. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Oh, that's yeah. right. When you guys got to go to Mexico without me. Paired with uh, Danny DeVito. Yeah, which was very strange. And so, pretty yeah, awesome. that's really interesting, Jake, that you say that because no, that's actually that's the, that's the second time I got him because I got him for something else. Was he in I, Shooter I, I, with Mark Wahlberg? I don't know. I got him at death at a funeral. Did you do that by any chance? I did not do that one. I love Shooter, by the way. I'm pretty sure he's that's in Antoine Shooter. Fuqua. And I'm Fuqua. pretty sure I got him for that for that junket. But that was a long time ago. Speaking of Mark Wahlberg. Um, but but Jake, that was one of those instances at the Jumanji junket when I'm looking across at Danny Glover. Yeah. OK, so he isn't is in Shooter. And I definitely got mm-hmm. him for that um, where I was looking across at Danny Glover and he's answering a lethal weapon question because um, mm. I asked him about doing sequels. Yeah. And so he talked about the Lethal Weapon sequels. And as he's oh. saying the words Lethal Weapon, I was like, you're Danny Glover. Yeah. Like, you're, you just you're said the guy. I've had a few moments like, like <laughs> OK, that's such a weird. I don't, people will never understand this unless you experience it. It's one thing to interview someone from a thing that you're obsessed with. But yes. when you hear them say it. Yes. Like when it, I heard Harrison Ford say something about Han Solo and I right. know I'm like, yeah, you're saying those words right in know. front of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Because what, what Jake forgets is under his breath, he says, I love you. And he's waiting for Harrison Ford to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, they're pulling me from the room. Han, I said, I love you. I texted my mom today. I said, I love you. She wrote me back. I know, period. I'm yes! like, I was like, I was like, I was like, so funny. Yes, I for the win think she knew what <laughs> she makes, was doing that makes it even better <laughs> yeah. that makes it even better I, I was like mom i was like are you quoting empire uh, there's no way she was i think she was just saying i know that's i know you amazing. love amazing <laughs> that's really funny i'm uh, sorry i'm sorry, sorry like, sean i interrupted you continue no no that's fine that's a that that's all i was saying is that i had one of those experiences where yeah that's a great and, and that means a lot for you well, because I said, like, I asked them, like, they were both involved with, you know, sequels or important sequels. And yeah. uh, I, I think I asked them something like a property of theirs that they would want to see uh, sequelized, like something mm-hmm. that hadn't been sequelized yet. And he was like, you know, we've had so many experiences with the Lethal Weapon franchise. And I was just like, oh, you said the word Lethal Weapon. You said Lethal Weapon. Uh, that was like so, that was like when I was backstage interviewing Arnold and he took like his hand as like a fake knife and stabbed me and said, stick around. I was like, uh, yeah, I'm, like he literally put how his do you exist it. after that yeah. moment. <laughs> I was like, what just happened? Oh, you know what? This is just totally like fanboy. And I, I, looking back on it, I'm probably like I probably came off as a little fanboyish. And he was totally cool. But I was like, dude. Can you say don't disturb my friend? He's dead tired. I literally said that. I was like, can you can you say that line for me? Exactly. Basically, we're three people who are who are like the like what Chris Farley is making fun of in his SNL yeah. sketch is, yeah. is what we are in real life. That's I was us. like, oh my god, it's Arnold. Yeah. I mean, he was like my childhood hero. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to Danny Glover Blend, who is one of my childhood heroes, um, and my choice has to be Lethal Weapon um, because. It's one of the it's that is one of the the most seminal films to me. Like, I know I say Die Hard a lot and everybody knows that Die Hard is one of my favorite movies of all time. But outside of the 
comic book genre, Die Hard and Lethal Weapon are like one one A and one B essentially. Yeah. Like yeah. the Shane Blackness of that script and the chemistry between those two uh cannot be duplicated and i know because many many films have tried including yeah. many films in that franchise and uh, what is, what is it i mean is it an indistinguishable x factor that we'll never be able to pinpoint is it different for every like buddy con- you know is, is it is it is it i mean i i guess it, i guess if we have figured if we could have figured it out by now hollywood would have done it a thousand times because it is such a big deal whenever it does happen but i what, think is, is there a constant is there a through line for the buddy comedies that work on that level i think with a buddy comedy that doesn't work um only one of the characters is is properly developed Interesting. like they're the interesting one of the duo and then the other one is kind of just like there you know tagging yeah. along but but riggs has his own stuff going mm-hmm. on uh with his uh, his wife's death and his suicidal feelings. This yeah. is only in the first one. I'm only referring to the first always one. out of socket. Yeah. And that's the second one. I'm only dealing with Did, the first does that one. not happen with the first in the first one. It's in the second one. Wow. Um, yeah. They introduced it in the second one. Uh, and then Murtaugh with his whole, I'm a family guy. Uh, I'm about to shit. retire. I don't need a new partner. This new partner's crazy. He's going to get me in all this trouble. Danny Glover plays that perfectly. And that could be a lazy role, but he makes you so much more invested in, in Murtaugh as a character and you buy into they they have these little side bits that the Shane Black works in about his daughter and how important his daughter is to him and, and she's got a little bit of a crush on Riggs and these are all like character moments mm-hmm. there it's outside of the action you know and and they each have a history together because they both were involved in the Vietnam War and the villain who's tied to Lethal Weapon is is part of Murtaugh's crew and it's just first off it's amazing storytelling but the two of them in those roles oh you're uh, making me want to watch it tonight couldn't be better uh, it's great. It's truly, truly amazing. And I think one of the greatest scenes uh, in that movie, there's too many to count, but I love the uh, shooting range scene mm-hmm. when uh, Murtaugh fires the one shot through the through the head and then Riggs makes the smiley face. And it has probably my favorite line uh, in any script because it feels like it was improvised and so quick. And it's definitely Shane Black. And after Riggs uh, makes the shots, Danny Glover says to Mel Gibson, uh, what do you sleep with that thing underneath your pillow? Referring to his gun. And Mel Gibson super fast says, I would if I slept. And I thought that was just such a mm. like, it just speaks so much to their characters uh, in that moment. And so, uh, yeah, I had to choose, had to choose yeah. the weapon. Wasn't even close. Wasn't even yeah. close. Yeah. Kev, what um, about you? Okay. I stayed in the same genre. I went with uh, Angels in the Outfield, which I, which I, 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 I <laughs> listen, and I'm not joking. Growing up, that movie meant so much to me that when Danny Glover came in our studio years ago, um, after the interview was over, I, I stood up. I was like, dude, can we do the <laughs> can we do the angels like the whole the thing from the movie? And he was like, he's like, no problem. Like he was all in. There's a photo of him and I both going like this. Um, and honestly, like it's weird because like Danny Glover has done so many other important or big films that were big for his career but that was my my love of Danny Glover came out of Angels in the in the outfield like like it was it was 
and I, I know it's a remake, but like that 94 film, I was 10 years old. It was Joseph Gordon Levitt. I loved his role. Um, you know, to me, it, it, that is what I think about first when I hear Danny Glover's name. I know Lethal Weapon is definitely the the go to. It should be the go to. I love his character in Angels in the Outfield. I love that relationship that he has with Joseph Gordon Levitt's character. I, I just I just love the the idea of people believing in what they're seeing and that arc of everybody kind of going through that. Um, I don't know. I know it's a strange choice, but that is my favorite Danny Glover movie. And I'm like, going to make. One of my uh, confessions on the show, I've never seen it. Never seen Angels. Oh, Angels. wow. Oh, Honestly, Alan Silvestri's score is yeah. beautiful. It's one yeah. of my favorite, like that and The Sandlot were my go-to yeah. baseball films. Like depending on your generation, you had Field of Dreams and you had The Natural and you had, you know, obviously Major League, um, which were all great. I rewatched uh, Natural the other day and oh, what a film. Um, but the 90s baseball films, Sandlot and Angels in the Outfield, those were like on repeat. I, I think the Angels in the Outfield, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the case for it was at like that big plastic. It was Disney yeah, the old Disney cases. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it was like and there was and it had like the, the lining was outside of the open area. You know what I'm talking about? It was like it was like it was like lined around and it was like l- larger than the actual case itself. Okay, and okay. you would open it up. I mean, it, I, I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but like, no, they had I mean, people, know, sp- people know what they, those 90s. Did Disney you just talk about are. clamshells? You're talking about like the is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were, I didn't know they were shows. called clamshells. I didn't know that yeah. either. Yeah, wow. taking, me back to, taking me back to my blockbuster days. But wow. I remember that particular. I, think yeah. I don't like. There's I three. Think Quentin called them a clamshell. He was yeah. talking about there's, the uh, the it's alive baby the baby carriage really? on the clamshell. There's yeah, three VHSs that I distinctly remember having: Angels in the Outfield, uh, and then the orange VHS tape for Good for Good Burger, yeah. and then the and then the Titanic. The two the two VHS set that I pre-ordered and rode my bike up to get. But Angels you may in the get Outfield. your headlines, Mr. Ismay. That's where it comes. Yeah. Yeah. Angels in the outfield, no question. And I know it's not a proper choice, probably, considering his career is full with filled with so many. Um, but for that's me, fine. that's that's my favorite. Yeah. Um it's, so it's interesting that the two of you chose those two because I interesting enough, those are those are the two I was deciding between. Um and this is one of those weird situations, and we've had this talk as to how we should pick with this game, because Angels in the Outfield is probably my favorite movie that he's in. Mm-hmm. But I, the reason I ended up choosing Lethal Weapon is because I think he has more to do with why the movie is great. OK, um, I, I, I think. With Angels in the Outfield, it's this big ensemble piece, and it's such a great story. And he he is a great part of it, big part. But he's a big, pretty a big part. Yeah. But but I just think that he is better and has and contributes more and has more of an impact on the quality of the film in Lethal Weapon. Sure. Um, and 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 so I mean, so both of your picks are incredible, and I and I'm sure I'll wake up in the middle of the night and say, oh, I should have gone with Angels in the Outfield. And Sean, there's absolutely no whack I can top what you said and how you said it. Right. Um, but but I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's that's one of those, you know, we've we've got into the heated debate uh, last week about whether or not you could replace Leo and Titanic and have it be the same film. Right. You cannot replace Danny Glover or Mel Gibson and mm-hmm. Lethal Weapon and have it be the same film. It, sure, it, no. they're, they're they're irreplaceable. 
And that's why so. it was strange following Sean because like Sean gave this incredible. <laughs> but, I, but I'm glad you said everything you yeah. just said because you're yeah. absolutely right. And especially, you know, and, and again, this is favorite. The, the reason yeah. people like this game is because it's mm-hmm. about. And so you and I yeah. are, are from that that generation that grew yeah. up, you know, we, like we're, you know, we, we used to think it was funny in high school going to baseball games and doing you know the wings. Sean, if you get the if you get the chance, watch it, this movie. Oh, it's it's honestly it's really great. There's definitely that nineties uh time frame where I was in like late high school, you know, starting college kind of thing, and I just didn't watch everything. So oh, Tony Danza Sean, Sean, Tony Danza, his oh, story, his story yeah. breaks my heart. Matthew McConaughey uh, uh, is also in the Lloyd. film. Oh, Christopher oh, Lloyd. Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Dude. Angels in the Outfield is oh, it's one of my favorite movies ever. I mean, like Jake makes a good point though. It's like, but I mean, honestly, Glover is a really big role in that movie. I, yes. I, I love that whole storyline. But you gotta see it. He's kind of like he's kind of like the coach that's checked out and just doesn't really care anymore. And okay, and uh, and then he's he's sort of given reason to believe again. I'll tell Tony really. Danza's arc in that movie is Tony oh. Danza's so oh. good Dude, in, when when he oh, goes to the dude. mound. All oh. right, come on. Before we get to uh, audience picks, I want to tell a really quick uh, Lethal he Weapon he, story. He gets it. Um, my friend Paul Talbot, who is a, one of my closest friends growing up, I knew him ever since elementary school, kindergarten. And he's the one who um, was obsessed with movies and would go to movies with me all the time when we were younger, growing up. And we uh, were enamored with the Lethal Weapon franchise. We saw mm-hmm. one and two together. Uh, I, think, oh, I, saw, I think we saw all three. And then... I was working for uh, the school, Catholic University. When I uh, graduated, I was in the admissions counselor's office and I was trying to get Paul a job there. By this point, he was living in New York and he was kind of, he has graduated college, but didn't really know what he was going to do next. And I said, dude, come on down here. I'm going to get you a job at, the, at, at my school. And, uh, you know, it'll, at least it's a, it's a way to get on your feet and you can kind of do your thing. So he was in town and he was, uh, had a job interview the next day. So we were out at Michelle's family's house for a barbecue. And Michelle and I were at this point dating, not not even engaged. And Paul came with me and we were in her family's pool and we were talking about movies, which we always did. And then um, this was the time that Lethal Weapon 4 was out in theaters. And, that's my favorite uh, one, by the way. I know no, that's your favorite don't one. Don't crush me, but Jen no, 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 is so I love freaking four. awesome. So yeah. I had seen it. I'd seen it already, um, but Paul hadn't seen it. And. I was like, we were, he said to me, he's like, oh yeah, God, I just haven't seen it yet. And I was like, what do you mean you haven't seen it yet? And he was like, no, I just did. I haven't gotten a chance to see it. There's so much going on. And I was like, we're going tonight. And, uh, I went over to the newspaper and I looked up in the Washington post, like where it was playing. And this was in the middle of a barbecue that Michelle's family was throwing. And then I turned to <laughs> Michelle and I said, Michelle, we got to go see Lethal Weapon four. And I swear to God, this is, and this is without doubt. One of the reasons when I realized that I was going to eventually marry her. I said, Michelle, Paul and I have to go see Lethal Weapon 4. And she goes, go ahead. <laughs> and the two of us got in the car and we left the family barbecue to go watch Lethal Weapon 4. She just knew. She knew like nothing was going to stop us at that point. And, that uh, and we went and saw awesome. it and it was it was majestic. Yeah, it was Dude, fantastic. Pesci, was that the one with Pesci in the dentist in the dentist chair? Yes. Lethal Weapon 4 is um, Jet Li is so good in that movie. Audience picks. Uh, Rachel Ho, Michael Breen. Uh, they both said Angels in the Outfield. Damien McDonald went with Lethal Weapon 2, which is interesting. Uh, Andy said the Royal Tenenbaums. Good choice for Danny Glover. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nuno Sarnados went with Predator 2. And then uh, Joe 
Four Naroto, Danny Thill, Jeff Maimon, and many, many others went with Lethal Weapons. So uh, thank you guys for playing. Hashtag no angels? Dan- yeah, no, yeah, a couple people said angels. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, oh, geez. Here we go. We're going to drop a bomb right in the middle of the show, aren't you, Gabe? Uh, if you watched, if you listened to last week's premium, you know that uh, Kevin feels very passionate about hashtag John Singleton blend. We're going to be playing yeah. John Singleton blend next week. Let us know your favorite picks. Great. Yes. Terrific. Who would have thought that that would be the second most passionate argument we got into in that episode? Uh, wait, there was even one that was right before it, too. It was it was Regina Hill. And then there was another one Regina, too, that we were Regina, arguing. Regina King. Regina King, Regina King, that we were arguing about. And then it led to, Titan- to Titanic and everything went off the rails. So hashtag yes. John Singleton blend. Uh, let us know your pick via email at real blend at cinema blend.com or use the hashtag Hashtag John Singleton blend. Um, we have a review this week from Kevin and Scott. And it goes uh, to the real blend guys. We are two brothers who have been loyal listeners of real blend since the very first episode, which I guess at that point would have been awards blend. Since then, the show has quickly become our all time favorite podcast film wow. related or not. It's difficult not to echo what so many others have praised about the show, the humor, the chemistry, the format, the in-depth interviews for us though. It is ultimately the fun. The show has been a staple for us through hard times and an affirmation through good times, a weekly check in with some pals to chat about their love of cinema. And I think that's what this show brings to the film verse that so many other forums do not an absolute, unabashed, unafraid, unpretentious love for the movies. No films are overlooked or dismissed. If you love it, you will tell us on real blend. There are no guilty pleasures, only pleasures. And as far as pleasures go, this show will always be one for us. I know we speak for so many others when we say thank you, fellas. Oh, that's a wonderful review. Yeah, oh, that's, a, that's well, fantastic. You're thank also you. missing missing the key to the ending of that review. Can you do you mind reading the last thing he wrote? Uh, and as far as pleasures go, I, the last the last word he he has. It's not in, it's not in our doc. He says Hubie. He signs yeah. off. Oh, did he really? Yeah. <laughs> he left it out. Yeah. See, of course, Gabe, Gabe left out Hubie. Oh, I want to point out somebody else wrote an email to me this week and they Uh-oh. ended it with hockey pads and <laughs> in all capitals. Hockey oh, pads. That's our new one. That's, that's our new one. Weird. Weird. That is this catching show's gotten weird. Uh, our next premium oh. episode is going to be the IMDB game. So make sure you are tuning in to listen to that if you want to get access to that and all Real the Blend previous premium. Uh, episodes of Real Blend Premium. Go to bit.ly backslash Real Blend Premium. In the meantime, follow us. On social media, at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and at Real Blend is where you'll find the show. We will be back next week with a full-on episode uh, and more premium uh, premium episodes as well. And a bonus but, episode with David Morse. And a bonus episode talking about the Green Mile with David Morse. And that 100 Morse. camera reference, so you'll, you'll get that. And his, uh, yeah, his, his, we talked about The Rock and Michael Bay and Dancer in the Dark. Great conversation. Uh, we'll be back next week with all that stuff. So until then... Hockey pads. I'm not wearing any hockey pads. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.